If you have your Bibles, be finding uh, John chapter 14, verse 1. John chapter 14, verse 1. And while you're looking there, let me uh, uh, encourage all of you who have uh, children to bring them to Vacation Bible School. If you'd like to help, you can come too. And uh, uh, also uh, next Sunday, I hope you can stay and have uh, enjoy the picnic with us that we'll have at the end of our Bible School week. If you'd like to come and help cook, you can do that. Or if you just want to come and help eat, we want both, of, both groups. Uh, I was also asked to remind you that, <clears throat> I'm not sure Kevin included this in the announcements, but that next Sunday our sixth graders, our children will be moving up some to sixth grade, and we're going to pre- present Bibles to everyone going into the sixth grade next Sunday morning. All right, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, and I want to read three verses. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many uh, rooms, or King James Version says mansions, If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. I think most of you who are adults today would agree with me that the world seems to have gone nuts. (laughs) We alone are sane in the entire universe. No. (laughs) But it definitely is a place of chaos and stress. Our culture seems to be disintegrating. Our politics has never, at least in my lifetime, seemed to be so hateful. And America's soul seems to be in decline. The American Academy of Family Physicians stated that about two-thirds of all doctor's visits are from stress-related conditions. What's the source of all this stress and chaos? Well... To some extent, crime, we, um, we, I have good news, bad news. In May of this year, Flint moved to number five in the top 100 most dangerous cities in America. Uh, that's good news because we used to be number one. The bad news is that we surpassed Detroit, which is now number six. (laughs) The Mecca of mayhem, and we have surpassed it. So crime is definitely a possibility. I would even say for a 
over a period of time a probability. I know I've had two, maybe three cars stolen and a couple of break-ins. Then I started taking the keys out of my car and it quit for some reason. That, that helped. <laughs> then another source of stress is debt. This comes from the Federal Reserve and is reported in the USA Today last November. Uh, the average credit card debt, this is average in the USA. Here's, our, here's the average United States citizen. Average credit card debt, 16000 Average auto loan, 29000 Average student loan, 50000 Average mortgage, 182000 That is a source of stress. <laughs> now couple that with the fragile economy that we seem to constantly live with, the constant possibility of job loss and even a, a prolonged sickness and that kind of debt and those kinds of possibilities lead to stress. Then add to it that, that gnawing sense of guilt that we bear on our souls. Sin and guilt. Somebody said unresolved guilt is like a, having a snooze alarm that won't shut off. Or the red light on your engine that you're trying to ignore. Guilt. Studies have found that our concentration, our productivity, our creativity, our efficiency are all significantly impacted when we bear feelings of guilt. Psalm 32, David wrote that when I kept silent from his, with his guilt, he said, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up like the heat of summer. And I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord and then you forgave the iniquity of my sin. But guilt has an effect on the body. My strength was dried up. My bones wasted away. Other sources of stress would be family problems, marriage conflicts, amen, raising children, or I'm sorry, rearing children is the correct way of saying it. However, they get raised, it's fine with me, let's just get them up and get them out. Terminal illnesses. Who's not afraid of that sudden, unexpected doctor's diagnosis? The sudden death of a loved one. These are all sources of stress, and life is full of it. They used to tell me when I was growing up, 
we all, you know how kids are and teens are. We always want to do the adult things. And they'd say, don't be in such a hurry to grow up. Take your time. It'll get, you'll get there. Well, it got there. Then you start thinking nostalgic thoughts about when you were young. A popular talk show host often ends his show by saying, by quoting John 14, verse 1, that first phrase, Let not your hearts be troubled. And that's all he says. He doesn't give you the rest of it, which is the most important part. It tells you how not to let your hearts be troubled. What can we do to keep our hearts from being troubled? How can we stay sane in a world that's gone mad? And basically, Jesus says two things here. So this is a two-point sermon. So we'll be out early today. Y'all listen fast. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. How? Two things. Number one, believe in God. And number two, believe also in me. That's what Jesus said. Now how do these things work? Let's take them one at a time. First, he said, believe in God. How does that help your heart not to be troubled? Well, when you believe in God, you worship. Amen? Anybody who believes in God worships. Hebrews 11, it says that those who who, uh, have faith, that you can't come to God unless you believe that He exists. Well, when you believe in God, you come to Him and you worship. And worship automatically transfers stress. There's someone greater than you. You are not responsible for the universe. Hallelujah. Proverbs 10:27 says, "The fear of the Lord prolongs your life. The years of the wicked will be short." In the old covenant, Sabbath worship was called rest. Isn't that interesting? On the Sabbath day, you worship, and it's called rest. When you believe in God, it means you hear the Word preached. Now, the Bible has quite a bit to say about being in attendance in the preaching of the Word. For example, Proverbs 4, verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words, he says. Notice how he puts this. Don't let them escape from your sight. Keep them in your heart. They are life to those who find them and healing to their flesh. When you are under the preaching of the word, something is triggered in your mind and your body that prolongs your life. You're being healed even as you hear the word preached today. I mean, some of you say, well, I feel it. (laughs) Maybe, maybe you don't. But it's happening. Researchers looked at data 
on 75,000 middle-aged nurses in the United States as part of a health study. The participants answered questions primarily about whether they attended religious services regularly. And it's a 20-year, 1992 to 2012 study. It showed that for those who attended religious services, there was a decrease in health problems of 33%. Now that came, that study was reported by CNN. Not exactly a bastion of faith. Also, Harvard Medical School did a study and found that there was a 50% reduction in heart attacks by those in the state of Maryland who attended services on a regular basis. Hmm. They are life to those who find them, his words, and healing to their flesh. If you believe in God, then, it means you worship. It means that you hear His words, which affects your body, calms your spirit. It also includes the ability to take burdens to God in prayer. Psalm 34, verse 4, I sought the Lord, and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Some years ago, I... I came across that verse and I just sat down and listed everything I'm af- I was afraid was going to happen. And I just and I, then I quoted that and wrote that over it. He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Everything I was afraid was going to happen, He delivered me from it. I sought the Lord. He answered me. See, that's what it means to believe in God. It means you go to God in prayer. You seek the Lord. He says in verse 6, This poor man cried. The Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And you know Philippians 4, 6, Don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Believing in God means prayer. Believing in God includes giving, serving. It's like uh, over the years I've noticed something. I've noticed that when I am depressed, if I go make a hospital visit, the depression leaves. Isn't that interesting? Because giving... Serving gets you out of yourself, keeps you from looking at yourself, and keeps you from being self-focused and self-centered. Serving others, just do something, give something to someone else. This comes from believing in God. And how about the social network, the community of faith that we surround ourselves with, the accountability that comes. Jesus said, believe in God. He also said, a second thing, he said, believe also in me. 
Now, how does that help? Well, through his cross, he died for our sins. The guilt issue is resolved. Through his resurrection and life, by the Spirit, we are made strong to cope. Through his second coming, we are given hope even in the face of our worst enemy, which is death. Notice how Jesus puts it in John 14, 2. In my Father's house are many rooms or mansions. King James says mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. He's going to come again. That is the hope of the Christian. That's the future of the Christian. That this world is not the goal. This life is not the end. The grave is not the final chapter. But there's a new world, a new age, a resurrection, a second coming. Now the atheist doesn't believe that. And by the way, there is an increase in atheism in the nation. They don't believe. There's a, a box on the census and it, and it says religious preference. One of the thing, boxes says none. I don't have any. And that the number of people who are checking that box are increasing each year. One committed atheist Thomas Nagel from New York University has written on the topic of an afterlife. And here's what he said. On the one hand, says Nagel, there is the hope that everything is accounted for on the basis of science and biology, which means evolution. However, there are doubts about whether consciousness or purpose or thought or value or meaning can be explained from the physical facts alone. That was his quote. He says, the thing that struck me and has stayed with me for several weeks is when he says, there's the hope that everything can be accounted for by science. I was like, what? That's a hope? He hopes that everything can be accounted for by science? You, he hopes that there's only your brain and not your soul? It's like, I hope there is nothing but biology. There is the hope... <laughs> Why would anyone hope that? That's just weird. I can understand if a scientific conclusion was reached and it brought despair. Like if we say, well, I've reached the scientific conclusion that there is nothing beyond the grave. But I, to, when you add to it, I hope that that's so. That sounds strange. 
It's like after mastering the laws of physics, we are now delighted to find that the man whose wife has died of cancer is now gone forever and will never be seen again. We hope, there's a hope that that's so. It just doesn't fit. It's why Ecclesiastes 9.3 says that the hearts of the children of men are full of evil and madness is in their hearts. In other words, they're crazy. Here is a professor of philosophy at New York University that's nuts. Paul, rather, writing in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve like those who have no hope. We have a hope. And since we believe Jesus died and rose again, through Jesus, God will bring them with him. See, if you believe in God, believe also in me, in my death for sin and my resurrection for hope. And look at what Jesus says. Notice particularly in verse 2 and 3. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms or mansions. The Greek word is mone. Mansions might be a little too um, fancy for the word. But I don't like dwellings. I don't like rooms that much. I don't think that brings it out. If you want to see another translation of the same Greek word down in John 14, 23. You're in the 14th chapter. Look at verse 23. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. My Father will love him. We will come to him and make our Monet, home with him. That's the same Greek word used up here for and translated as room. In my father's house are many rooms, Monet. I like it when they translated it home. He, what Jesus says in verse 23 is, when you love me, you put your faith in me, we will come to you and we will make our home with you. You will be our home on the earth. And then when you die, Jesus says, you will come and be with me and you will make your home with me. On earth, we are his home. In death, he is our home. But my point is, I think the best translation is this idea of home there is home. There's a lot of temporary transitional circumstance with all of life. For the Christian, we know we have a home and we're on our way. And he will come and get us and make sure it is so. And what Jesus is saying in John 14 is don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Worship Him. Pray to Him. Hear His Word. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many homes. It's a lot of homes. And you're not home yet. 
Don't let your heart be troubled. You're not home yet. But you will be because I'm going to come and get you and take you there. The story is told, missionary Henry Morrison spent his life across the seas and was on a steamer coming back and sailing in to the New York Harbor when his missionary life, him and his wife, it was over. On that same steamer was President Theodore Roosevelt, who had been on a hunting expedition in Africa. And they were both on the same ship coming back to the same harbor, and they, they could see out and they could see that the, the port was full of bands and they were playing and the horns were sounding and there were signs and banners and crowds waving all to greet the president, Roosevelt, returning from a safari. The missionary and his wife came down the gangplank, found a flat in the area, poorer area of New York. And as, they, as he sat on the bedside, he said to his wife, he said, you know, it just doesn't seem right. I've given my life to missions, taking the gospel overseas. Here's the president out hunting wild game. Look at the reception he gets. Look at the accolades. Look at the noise and the clamor. Look at the crowds. I get nothing. And his wife wisely said, Honey, why don't you go tell the Lord that? So he did. He said, I think I will. So he went into the other room and he was there a little bit and he came back out, sat back down on the bed. And his wife said, Well, what did the Lord say? And he said, well, he said, you're not home yet. Amen. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't let your heart be troubled. There'll be, it'll be fixed. It'll be all right. You're not home yet. You need to wait. Learn to wait a little. Peter put it like this, 2 Peter 3.13 Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein everything is made right. It'll be made right. God will fix it. So we look to Him. So to each of you who are here today, I would say this. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Jesus, the Savior and Redeemer. Because He will come and there will be a homecoming like you've never had before. He'll fix it. Amen. Let's worship Him with our giving this morning. Ushers, you come. Let's pray together. As we pray, those of you who are troubled today, turn those things over to your God. 
Give those sins and that guilt to Jesus. Tell him you look forward to that time when there's a new heaven and a new earth wherein all things are right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the grace and the goodness from you through the Son of God. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for this promise from the, from the Son of God today. Thank you that we don't have to let our hearts be troubled. We can be at peace with you and with each other. Bless this time. May we give, may we worship, may we glorify you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing that uh, part of the song, Do It Again. I see you move, you move the mountains, and I believe I'll see you do it again. Let's sing that together.